0: This is the Future of Security Operations podcast, brought to you by Tynes. This show is dedicated to empowering SecOps leaders to reimagine how their teams work, so they can scale their security efforts and build a team that achieves more with less. In each episode, we'll learn from a security leader who has found a way to free their team from tedious manual tasks and remove the barriers that are preventing them from doing high-value strategic work that truly matters. We'll learn from their mistakes, distill their best practices, and leave you with actionable insights that you can immediately put to work with your team. I'm your host, Thomas Kinsla, COO and co-founder of Tynes. Now, let's jump right into today's show. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Future of Security Operations podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Christian Kibimage, Head of Security at Pipedrive. Christian, thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and the work you do at PipeDrive?
1: So yeah, right now I'm uh, my majority of time goes to PipeDrive. I'm the head of security operations. I joined the company over six years ago, and through that journey, I have been building quite a bit of different components. I've had the chance to join early on in the team, being the second person. So I've had to implement a variety of security tools related to security monitoring, vulnerability assessment, application security. I also had to do the soft side grading policies, doing training for the company, which is very important, and also implement SOC 2 and ISO uh, compliance and get the kind of company ready for that. So that's my maturity of my time. And I also teach cybersecurity defense technology at, uh,
0: for master's students at Taltech here in Estonia. Bob, that's huge. That'll give us a, a whole load to go into. I think there's a lot of people that'll be like, wow, okay, there's a huge amount of knowledge here. We'll try to capture as, as much about it as possible. You've obviously seen then, so and you're seeing the future as well. Like throughout your career, you've seen security operations evolve. How do you describe the state of security operations today? I think it's not... Good or bad, I think it's challenging is
1: the most right word I I would find for it because it has its good side and bad sides, you know, from the better perspective, you know, security is more in the forefront today. You know, companies realize that uh, they need to invest into security and to security operations because of the breaches and everything that's happening around us. They find it more uh, important. That's also bad thing because, you know, the attacks are evolving. It's getting more complicated. The attackers are a lot more smarter than they used to be. So there's a lot of things that are happening. You need to stay one step ahead. You cannot focus on everything anymore. And years ago, there was really easy. It was the perimeter. Where is the perimeter now? You have your SaaS applications. You have uh, everything in the cloud. People are working remotely. So I would say it's challenging. And from security operations perspective in specific, there's definitely lack of talent. You are competing for very few resources. Organizations need good people. So retaining talent is important. Building or growing your people is very important. And for me specifically, also remote work was very interesting. During COVID time, we were used to being in the same room. Our team was in the same location. And kind of moving to this Slack first and Zoom first kind of reality was often difficult. Even coming back now, we have people working remotely. And you have to take uh, that into account that every bit of information also reaches them. So it's kind of the mentality has changed. On the good side, there's a lot of automation tools that you can use now, these days. And there's a lot of tools, but that's also a danger. You have to not focus on what the tool can do, but what you need first and go from there.
0: Yeah, it's really important. It's very dangerous to automate if you don't have a procedure or have a uh, a process in place. Uh, you can just dive in and spend way too much time. but actually not necessarily be solving the uh, the biggest problems. I want to take a bit of a step back because you've thrown a huge amount of information there. And kind of yeah. at the very start, you talked about like, even just, I suppose, the change. And you had a perimeter. Now you don't have a perimeter. You've now got a whole lot of SaaS apps. But you, you did your master's in digital forensics. How have you seen that change, I suppose, in the age of the cloud? A lot. Because when I went through the
1: program, you know, here's this hard <laughs> to investigate, right? Now you have everything in the cloud. How can you get data from them? That's also a difficulty, you know, how can I investigate? Where is my data? So it has also definitely changed. It used to be easier in that sense. You would know where your data is, maybe more as well. Now it's, you know, it can be all over the place, especially when uh, people can quite easily sign up for a service these days and, you know, your data is everywhere. So it's different.
0: Yeah, it's super challenging. I think it speaks to some of the the estate that you have to look after as well, that as you say, it's no longer just like somebody's laptop that can be affected. It's your AWS environment or like users' mailboxes are very, very easy to to compromise these days as well. I want to touch, and I don't want to go too deep here, but Pipedrive is a great Estonian success story. How have you found building and leading a team from Estonia? It's been great, to be fair. Thanks to the kind of master's
1: program that Estonia has here, the Daltech Cybersecurity Master Program, we have people that are coming into Estonia that are interested in cybersecurity. So we have kind of this talent pool. The kind of down effect is Estonia is very small and uh, we have quite a few successful startup stories and quite successful companies that are going after the same talent. So while you can get good talent, you also have to retain it. Building a team here has been really interesting and really good. I would strongly suggest that the people here are very hardworking. working. So uh, the kind of mentality and every day is, is
0: great. Well, you've managed to grow the team from two people to, I think you said, over 20 people in, in the information security team. So you've definitely managed to, uh, to do something right. What are some of the tips and tricks that you'd have to maintaining that talent and making sure that people are being given the opportunities that they deserve?
1: Well, from one thing, it's making sure that they are excited and they have a room to grow because people tend to get bored quite easily. And then they start to think, well, maybe I can get a better paying job at somewhere else where I can do more exciting things. It's the opportunity to give them to grow, take more responsibility as the time goes, because, well, if you have a person who's dealing with fishing every day, then that person is, well, great. I don't want to do that anymore. So it's you know throwing them... This kind of bone that keep them interested and uh, give them challenges. That's one thing. Obviously, you know, good compensation package, everything goes along that. But that shouldn't be the main goal. The main goal should be people who want to learn, want to grow, and they're given that chance
0: uh, with the company. Yeah, make sure that it's fun and make sure that they're on top. If, if yeah, somebody's looking at the same phishing email over and over and over again, they're not going to be uh not only they're not going to be happy, they're they're going to turn. they're going to go to another job. And as you say, yeah. there's plenty of security jobs out there. I think just on that you touched on automation, but it's not just automation. Like one of the big issues plaguing security teams is the amount of manual work that teams are spending their time on, and you want to be able to enable them to work on that fun, uh, so it's more impactful risk reduction efforts. But what are you doing at PipeDrive to reduce the amount of time spent on manual tasks to enable people to focus on that fun work?
1: I mean, phishing is, I think, good example. You know, there are very certain steps that you take every time. So there is no reason for you to do it manually. You should be automating those steps, right? So that's what we do, actually. Obviously, we were not able to focus on automation right away. Took a few years to kind of get to that. Okay, now we can kind of breathe. Okay, how can we make ourselves more efficient? So we looked at what we do. We looked at what plagues us the most every day. You know, what are the kind of tasks that we do the most? And what take the most time as well? So we looked at that, fishing. I think, one good example. We started throwing it on a whiteboard, breaking it down to each kind of step, what we take, and then saying, okay, I have a security engineer on my payroll, so, okay, take these steps and automate that flow for us, right? So that's how we kind of have gone. We look at the things that take the most time and are most repetitive and then build automations into that. So if the flow is not fully automated, then at least the most kind of remedial steps that can be automated, will be automated. So that's the kind of methodology that we take a look at because you can do so much. And it's I think it's with cybersecurity tools in general that you can have the capability, but the question is what lowers your risk the most and what saves you the most time and money and makes you more efficient and enables your team to do more interesting work.
0: Um, Absolutely yeah absolutely love it I'm definitely gonna snip that and uh put it into a put it into something I can put on YouTube or put on LinkedIn so I suppose it touched on a whole load of things there and you said you, a lot of the time you prioritize on like what saves you time what saves you money what lowers the risk but like you've built this program from two of you to twenty now so you're responsible for security monitoring vulnerability assessment policies training how did you prioritize all of those and decide what was first and how do you advise folks that are in a similar situation to what to focus on first
1: so yeah, luckily, I don't have to focus on everything that anymore. I yeah. now, you know it's only on the operational side, but at the start, it was, for one thing, some of the things were very low-hanging fruit that you could easily pick up, like, you know, what enables or what gives me the most clarity, the fastest. And quite often when you start in a small team, the fast way is open source. You deploy it, you figure out, okay, that's not working for me, I'll use another tool. Oh, wait, this gives me quite a good overview already. So there's a lot of things you can do early that will give you the picture fastest. Like if we talk about prioritization, training was very important for us. Because security is not only done by the security team. It's done throughout the organization. Whether you know it or not, you are contributing somehow to the security program. So, uh, doing training for developers to make sure that, Hey, you know, this cross site scripting, this is bad. These are some of the examples that we've had in the past. Avoid those mistakes talking to the general public about phishing. You know, that was very important. And what throw was quite a bit was actually following frameworks. So quite often at the start, customers reached out to our company saying that, hey, do you have SOC 2 certification? Do you have ISO certification? So we started looking at, hey, we have to fill in quite a bit of security questionnaires for customers because, well, customers doing their due diligence to make sure that Pytra is a safe platform, to use a secure platform. How can we move away from that to show that we are doing things by the book? We do have things in place. So we're like, okay. So then we started kind of building the compliance program and everything Related to that, we need to have security monitoring. We need to have training. We need to have procedures and process in place. So in that sense, following compliance framework throw us, but I want to say that security is compliance. These things are completely separate. I can do compliance without being any more secure while I can do security things and, you know, not be compliant. So it's important in the long run to not make those things same, but, you know, looking at, okay, This enables me to do something. So that's how we approached it at the start, at least. So yeah, we definitely spent long hours in the office, but it was exciting building something from scratch. You're like, I can do this. I can build that. I can do everything. It's dangerous as well, but exciting.
0: Yeah, there's a huge amount of work that you can, uh, you can focus on. Sorry, I was the myself and Mars uh, CEO at Times. We were the first two people on the security operations team in DocuSign. So we grew that from two to about 30, all the way through going public. And it was loads of fun, but it was very, very similar uh, challenges. I got to work on some incredibly interesting projects, but there was no end of projects as well. So some of the challenges we had were... Like making sure that security didn't a just become a, like check the box exercise, as you kind of talked about, but it's also making sure that you don't lose that culture of being a startup. So working in a startup and working in like in security in a startup can be really good fun. But if you go too far down either the compliance route or too far down like a enforcement route, it makes security an obstacle to growth. How have you dealt with that challenge?
1: Yeah, that's actually brings two good stories in mind. Because I used to, before Drive, I used to kind of consult and to work for different kind of governmental agencies. So quite often, it was just a tick in the box to, you know, where away. it's checklist done. So I didn't want to do that again, because I wanted, you know, my work to be meaningful and people to actually, you know, yeah, your work matters. And... In rely to startup culture, when uh, I remember us introducing the first policy, which was information security policy, in the company all hands, and people took that, oh, no, okay, startup is gone. You know, we're going to be a corporation now. We're going to have policies and rules. And if I do something wrong, I get fired. And that teaches us quite a bit how to deliver that first message to the wider public, because our goal wasn't, you know, no. We don't want to fire our talent. We don't want to get rid of anyone. We don't want to ruin this culture. I loved this, and I still do, the culture that Drive has and the kind of startup feeling that we still somewhat have, even though you know we're very far from where we were six years ago. I still love that feeling. So I was the last person to want to ruin that. So we had to have a follow-up discussion. Hey, we have these rules and policies in place. We want to meet compliance requirements. We want to do things, you know, follow a process and procedure and understand, you know, how can we do things better? If you infringe on a policy, we want to understand why did you do it? Did you do it intentionally? You know, is the policy wrong? We cannot follow the policy or we need to adjust the policy. Did you do it unintentionally? And should we do you, give you a training, right? So the end goal never was, you know, you'll be fired. It's, Let's do things together in a systematic way. And if you know something doesn't work, let's adjust it and let's do training. Let's understand how we can make it work. So yeah, security is often seen as a showstopper, a blocker. It should be seen as an enabler and that's what it should be. And being in an agile environment, that's often quite difficult, especially when you put
0: controls in place that you know slow things down. So you have to find a good balance for it. Definitely. And you also like, I agree with everything you said. For me, it's also that you want to encourage like people to report things proactively, right? So you don't just want somebody to say, Oh, yeah, I may click that, but it doesn't, it looks like everything's fine. Cause maybe it is fine, but it's, I'd much rather, you know, investigate a hundred like false positives than somebody, especially somebody with, you know, important access to do something and not report it because they think it's fine.
1: Absolutely, we had tons of false positives when we started, but it was this kind of culture that we wanted to promote: speak up, don't be afraid, even if it's not a problem. If you feel or think that it's a security potential incident, report it. We'll investigate it, and if it's not, you know, we can say, "Hey, thank you for reporting. This is actually, you know, all right, that's fine." Or potentially, we can detect an incident and you know remove it before it becomes a problem. So. Definitely, when implementing or starting a security program, it's important that culture kind of exists, people report, and you respond to them to make sure that, you know, people's reports aren't going under the table, but they actually matter. That kind of promotes people, you know, bringing it up more. You'll see a lot of false positives, but over time, the quality goes up and you have kind of security champions throughout the organization that, hey this might be an issue I'll report it, And you'll see that you have good people as your allies, as I would say.
0: So again, absolutely 100%. But how do you, I suppose, when you're reporting on the progress and you're, like, you're saying, hey, you initially have a lot of false positives and then you don't, but it's really, you can't say because you've had false positives or you've had 100 incidents that you're successful. How do you measure the success of your team to kind of report that you're going in the right direction? That's a really tough question.
1: That is the question. So, uh, we have a instant management and case management platform called the Hive, which is open source. And this is where all our, our knowledge lives. And this is where we track our performance, how we're doing, uh, how fast are we reacting to alerts? How many instances do we have? What instant types they are? How many other security events we have? So. We basically collect a lot of metrics and we, based on that, we understand how well or bad we're performing. From one thing, you know, from our side, we're promoting that we react to alerts, you know, within a certain SLA. We close an incident. We have internal key performance indicators, what we try to adhere to.
0: And yeah, based on the data, we do the measurements. Perfect. One of the things that We've touched on a little bit, but is really plaguing security teams right now is burnout and mental health. This is sometimes related to uh, like manual work, but it's also related to the number of incidents related to like being on call. I suppose at Pipe Drive, what are you doing to address these concerns with your team? Yeah,
1: that's a big problem. And that's also a big problem when you are seeing a lot of false positives, right?
0: Uh, You know,
1: you're seeing the amount of different incidents or potential incidents and cases. For us, automation is the key automation and removing false positives as much as possible what you can do only so much right we really try to carve down and cut down as much false positives as possible so that you know our visibility is good but we've seen this before it's false positive we can throw it away and then automating the uh, little things for example you know starting an incident. we click a button it creates a instant channel involves everything in every important people there. We have different kinds of basically automation flows that ease the kind of work. So automation definitely helps. It's also important to find kind of this personal life balance. For me, I've had personally big problems with that. I used to work all the time and because I loved it, I still do. It was a hobby for me as well. So, but my personal life then had very small attention. So I had to find that balance myself because at some point, it's great when you do it but it's not scalable. You will burn out potentially at some point. So you have to control it and make sure you know you know your boundaries and your limits. So uh yeah, it's uh definitely kind of promoting this, you know, when a person is on a holiday, he's on a holiday. He can rest, right? We are not dependent on one person, you know, when that person is on holiday, everything stops. This shouldn't be. Things can happen, people can leave. So definitely kind of spreading the knowledge that uh, everybody You know, when you have somebody's focusing on network security, you also have somebody else who is either, you know, working with him or kind of a backup to him. So when you have a person going on holiday or leaving or needs to take a little break, you have another person working on it. So yeah, things like that, Mm -hmm. definitely giving people the chance to go get training, going out to conferences, doing team building exercise together, listening to people making sure that their voice is heard, you know, they can all contribute that and help with the burnout as well. But yeah, obviously, the biggest kind of help is to remove the work, right? So it's as much as of it possible to remove that mundane
0: things. Yeah, it's great to hear that you're looking after yourself as well. It it comes from the top. If Somebody from the top is burning themselves out. It's very hard for people, I suppose, a a little bit further down. Uh, or who are newer in their careers to say, actually, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to take those holidays. So it's important to, important to step away and to realize that nobody, no matter what the organization is, is irreplaceable. How have you found that during COVID? Did you think it got better? Do you think it got worse? Do you think working from home really helped or how did that, uh, how did that change?
1: That's very interesting because for me and our team actually back then, the team that I have is now eight people and nine with me. That was back then three people with me. So it was, it's very, you know, still when COVID happened, I was given my first two direct reports. So it was very interesting. I had to grow the team and build the team in lockdown. So that was interesting. It definitely, for me, I was in doing still the everyday work, handling incidents back then as well, because, you know, we didn't have enough people as we do now. I found myself starting up, at 8 a.m. and finishing around 6, even forgetting to eat lunch. I was absolutely loving it. I was having fun. We were building, you know, scripts, automating, building new data flows into our CM tool. It was crazy. But at some point, when I woke up on a Saturday, I followed my normal routine, got a coffee and started working again. I realized, wait, today's Saturday. I shouldn't be working today. So uh, it definitely was weird. And it affected people quite a bit. People used to put all of their energy into it right away. Yeah, let's, you know, every day, let's do a uh, morning meeting. Let's get into it right away. And then you would feel the energy kind of fading away. People being stuck at their home, at their place. So it definitely had an effect. What helped for us was we did coffee meetings every morning. So with the entire team, you know, because we had people that were living alone. I was living alone back then have that kind of you know you can talk to people you can kind of wake up have a chat one on ones helps you know talk to people and also luckily we have coaches at by Drive. so you can use a coach when you feel like you're at the edge of you know you need to talk to someone so we have that as well which definitely helps with kind of burnout and fatigue so yeah covid was interesting but it was important to find ways to keep the team together We played video games with some of the people. We spent our days in, you know, voice chat all the time. So you would wake up, have a coffee, join voice chat, you know, every now and then you mute for lunch and whatnot, but you would kind of keep in touch. So we try to still, you know, feel like we're in the same room with the team. But the COVID definitely, for me at the end, I was like, okay, I need to take a break. I tried to push myself a lot. I had fun, but the end. For that example, when, you know, Saturday I started working, I was like, okay, I need to kind of take a step back. But how, when my home and my workplace, you know, I was working in the living room are the same, like, how do I make that separation? So it definitely
0: was interesting. Wow. Um, I always love like hearing how people, uh, how different people have, I suppose, adapted to it. But yeah, there's, I suppose, there's, there's always so much work to do. But uh, yeah, I think there's some there's some great advice there. The coffee mornings is something we've done a little bit here. But yeah, being on voice chat all the time, I kind of like just being able to be a bit of a recluse in some circumstances. It's hard. I'm sorry, the other thing that I really wanted to touch on there was that you said, you know, you've got these coaches, which is Absolutely fab, an incredible resource. But it's also not it's important that the coaches are there, not just when things get bad. And it can be really helpful proactively to go to the coaches and have conversations and say, hey, here's something that I want to work on, rather than waiting for things to I suppose to, to get bad as, as well. I think it's pretty clear that in I suppose a fast growing tech company like Pipe Drive, there's always a huge amount to do. What's the number one piece of advice you'd give to others who are leading or starting to lead security teams at fast growing tech companies? I think that's the kind of, when we're talking about, there's a lot to
1: give, uh, but this one piece of advice, I would uh, say it's to do with talent and you know the team that you're building, the retention, the kind of, you know, that you don't exhaust your people. It's important that everybody has their voice in the team. They have uh, a chance to explore because cybersecurity, security operations, it's, it's a big field. They can, you know, understand where they excel at Obviously, we need to accomplish goals as we go through and reduce the highest risk. But it's making sure that you keep your talent, you have a, you know, team that connects and you nourish that and you build that. So, you know, alongside that goes, you know, do you have automation in place? Do you let people go on vacation at the right time? Do you talk to them? Do you do one-on-ones? Do you understand actually what is going on inside your team? So one advice I would say it's people. That's the most important piece. And it's outside of the team as well, making sure that uh, you know you keep conversation open with your development team, with your DevOps, with your infrastructure team. You listen to them, give advice. So it's not the, it's my way or the
0: highway. It shouldn't be like that. Yeah, could not agree more. It is all about the people. And it's also how, if you focus on that, it's how they're going to give the most and they're going to you know enjoy it and they're going to add value as well. It's a really, really nice attitude to have. Before I suppose to touch on one or two more questions, I want to ask a little bit about your lecturing. So you, you lecture in, in, I think it's a university in Tallinn. So you lecture in, I think it's vulnerability management, cybersecurity. What impact does the academic approach have on how you've approached security in PipeDriver elsewhere?
1: I think the kind of, even the uh, effect is kind of reversed. It's the kind of, I take the knowledge that I have gained here and I, you know, kind of teach that kind of coming back to what I take from school is definitely, you know, listening to people, that lecturing, you know, that definitely improves my communication skills, understanding people, you know, all of that side. So I take that from there. And the networking, to be fair, which is the most important part in cybersecurity is having a good network, you know, because you are teaching people, you see maybe, hey, this guy or this girl is very talented, uh, you happen to have an open position. Let's have a chat. So I think that's one of the things uh, to take away from there. And also the ideas thrown out because the master students that I have teached, many of them have brilliant ideas. You know, the discussions that we have, for example, a master's thesis that was done was directly solved my problem. I was like, okay, well, great. You know, I'll take that away. I can take that into Python and say, hey, you know, somebody did a thesis about this. This works. Let's adopt it. So, you know, things like that. And yeah, and then from ByteTrap, I kind of take back that knowledge that, you know, I have from here and I kind of reflect through that. The kind of stories, you know, what I have seen, what works, what doesn't work, what are the biggest, you know, mess ups, stuff like that. So it's kind of works both ways in that sense.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, of course. And definitely there can be courses that are extremely academic that will focus on, hey, here's how you analyze this particular piece of malware. It can, absolutely, but it very rarely gets that deep in uh, in incident response. And if it has, you know, you're going to be in a little bit of trouble anyway. And what was that thesis that you managed to uh, you managed to implement?
1: So it was actually about container vulnerability management. And the thesis itself was bigger. It talked about uh, how to kind of defend container platforms. So microservice against attacks and what tools provide you the most kind of capability for that. And what I took away from there was a open source tool uh, called Trivi. Detect container vulnerabilities, and you know the guy had done an analysis on different platforms that provide what results and kind of what provides the best results. And we're like, okay, that fits. Let's take it away from here. So yeah,
0: that's fab. Yeah, really, really cool, and really great to see. Well, both their work getting <laughs> getting recognition, getting in, uh, getting implemented, but also that it was done to a high enough standard that you'd feel that you can go ahead and just implement it automatically. But we've talked a lot about cybersecurity and how it's changed over the last couple of years. Five years from now, what do you think security operations teams will look like?
1: I think they will be smaller. I used to hate these two words and nothing, you know, against them. I used to hate AI and machine learning because when those were a buzzword years ago, yeah. every company couldn't wait to use it somewhere there to sell their product, and while the actual kind of machine learning or AI was very limited and wasn't really, you know, what you'd expect but i i expect the uh, from 5 years ago now this is definitely something that people will utilize more kind of ai and machine learning patterns to understand what's normal what's not normal that's the way to go you know it's not hash based detection these days you know you have to understand the behavior of something or someone and detect based on that and people will use a lot more automations it's the way to go you still need people to operate you know the team do incident management, create the automations, maintain them, develop them, but you'll utilize a lot more of the computer. So you'll utilize machine learning, AI, and automation to automate a lot of maybe this tier one of security operations. You'll still have threat hunters that go deep into it, know your environment, but yeah. And also, to be fair, security operations center as a service. There's more and more people providing that, more and more people see the benefit of buying that expertise in because you can get started maybe faster. I still like the balance. Yes, you know, when you have people who are pros at something, hire them in. But having a kind of local operations team is still beneficial because they know everything inside and out and maybe have that kind of knowledge that the build
0: or the bought-in service does not have. I love it. Christian, unfortunately, that's all we're going to have time to cover today. But before we wrap up, if somebody wants to follow your journey and keep up with you, where should they go? I think LinkedIn is the the best place. This is where I actually
1: uh, respond back to in messages as well. Email these days is so full of everything you know, that you can notice. So LinkedIn is, I think, the best.
0: Brilliant. Well, thanks again for joining us. And I hope we have you on again in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Future of Security Operations podcast by Tynes. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast platform. For additional episodes, visit tynes.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about how Tynes Automation Platform can transform your security operations team, visit tynes.com. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode.